Well, nice to meet you. My name's April, and I just wanted to say that your dress is so cute. It's bonks. I saw my spinning instructor wearing it, and I was like, shut up. Where do I get that? Oh, my God. Who's your spinning instructor, Gregory or Winona? I go to Giannis. Who are Gregory and Winona? I've never heard of them before. Are they better? Winona rocks my world. Seriously, you need to get me in there. Like, that's a must, must, must. She's the worst person I've ever met. I want to travel the world with her. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we said too many nice things and the show turned on us. You know what? I, interesting use of phrase, turned on us. Mm-hmm. Imagine you're a writer and you're writing a show and you have an idea of what you want it to be, but then because you're a good writer, as it's going, you let it organically move along the path that it should be moving along. That's what good writers should do. Bad writers stay tied to oh, he's going to end up with Robin at the end. Good I writers. Like, I was just thinking, this sounds like it's building up to a slam on How I Met Your Mother. Yes. Bad writers stay married to the ending they have in their head. Good writers let the ending evolve. But say that you've already shot a event that's supposed to take place in the future, and now you have to come up with an episode whose entire purpose is to kind of, like, turn the track... So that you're back on track to get to the ending that you already shot. Yeah, a lot of this feels like, I mean, it's a lot of the issues we had with the first couple of episodes in the reboot season. Where it's a lot of explaining how point A came to be. And you know what? I don't blame this episode. I feel like, I mean, it's right in the, this, it's dead in the middle of the season. It's episode 10. They realized they were going somewhere different than they started, so they had to, like, it's a car turning noise. This is very, very exposition-y. This is how, this is how the setup for this season came to be, and that's always kind of awkward. Well, so do you remember at the end of season one when Rumpelstiltskin tells David that he needs to be dressed appropriately to go kiss Snow, and he does the spell to put him into the David outfit. Yeah, the outfit that we saw in the first scene of the series, which he was in no way wearing at that point in the, yeah. Yeah, it's like a whole episode of that moment. Yes, exactly. And it's not bad. It's, like, there have been... It has, you know what, this episode has a job to do. Yes, this is a workman episode. This is an episode that directed... A uh, hundred episodes of Dharma and Greg, and you need it for a filler episode of, I don't know. Uh, well, see, I wouldn't say this is a filler episode. I would say this is a place-setting episode. Yeah. I, I want to stick with the whole workman thing. Like, this is an episode that has a very clear job. It doesn't need to be pretty. It just needs to be done. This episode is a 2005 Camry. It's just going to get you where you need to go. So uh, we should actually get into talking about the episode. This is Season 7, Episode 10, The Eighth Witch. The Eighth Witch. So, as a reminder, Victoria Belfry finally managed to wake up her daughter 
uh, who was in a coma because of ice-based shenanigans back in fairy tale land. Her daughter Anastasia. Her daughter Anastasia, not her daughter Drizella, who has magic and is evil, sort of, I guess. Yeah, and has been working with Mother Gothel. Okay, I know this is going to sound bad, but you know what this episode really, really reminded me of? What's that? The very recent, at this point, Dark Phoenix movie. How so? Mother Gothel is Jessica Chastain. Uh, Drizella is Sophie Turner. Is is Rapunzel Xavier? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Except that Xavier has a closer relationship with Jean Grey than... What? Than Lady Tremaine has with Drizella. Yeah. But there are a lot of shades of it in this episode, which we'll get into more. Uh, fun fact, the recent Dark Phoenix movie is not good it's not as bad as people were saying but it what bothers me about the new dark phoenix movie is a it basically put a bullet in the head of them ever attempting to do a good adaptation of dark phoenix at this point i mean it's such a great story and no one can adapt it well wait can no one or can just the one guy who wrote x3 and this movie not do it yeah yeah this is all simon kinsberg and the fact that he was so, de- like, I get it, he was really determined to tell the story, but if you were really determined to be an air traffic controller, and you kept on crashing planes, even if it's your passion, at some point someone should probably not let you do that anymore. Yeah, no, that's that's accurate. That's well, an accurate statement. Well, Dark Phoenix isn't bad. It's like... It is. I mean... <laughs> Let let me ask you, like, let me cut to the heart of it. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend anyone go see it? No. Yeah, point. The thing is, the thing that stops me from saying this is a bad movie is that the first 30 minutes are so good. It's such a good setup. Yeah, it's Unkept Promises the movie. It's such a good setup that they do nothing with. She goes from zero to Dark Phoenix based on nowhere. And also, why did they try so... I know why they tried so hard to get Jennifer Lawrence back. Because, you know, she's really famous still, kind of, I guess. Even though she obviously didn't want to be there. And they gave Scott's scenes to her, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, these Unless you're doing an entirely different story, which, to be fair, I'm here for. But that's not the story they're doing. Jennifer Lawrence, I don't get why she's like... I'll be in this movie, but only if Simon uh, Kinsberg is directing. And then he was directing, and she's still very clear. Did she think that they wouldn't hire him back? Did she tank the movie because she assumed they wouldn't hire the guy who tanked the franchise the first time around? Again, because she seemed so much like she did not want to be there. This is not a good movie. Yeah. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Also, so Anastasia is now awake. Unfortunately, there's a coma equivalent exchange thing going on, and now Lucy's in a coma. Yeah, the law of conservation of comas. Yes. And Lucy's belief had to be shattered in order for Anastasia to be woken up. Weird proviso, but okay. Oh, and Henry and Regina are on a road trip to find a mysterious someone who might be- It's Selena. Yeah, who might be able to help them with- Dealing with Lady Tremaine? I don't know why Regina thinks Lady Tremaine's still the big bad at this point. I think she might have said that to Henry, but she knows that Drizella is the big bad at this point. Hmm. So we open with Lucy on a hospital gurney being rushed through the hospital scene. 
And I noticed that she's wearing sparkly silver sneakers. Uh, You know, the way that Dorothy's shoes are actually silver in the story. Just throwing that out there. For those of you who aren't in the know, uh, the reason that they were red in uh, the reason they became ruby slippers in the MGM movie was because they wanted to show off the color. But they are silver in the book. And that makes sense because this is the episode where we're bringing back the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm. So it's not so it makes sense that there would be a Wizard of Oz call out in the first shot. Oh, that is that is a cute little nod there. So uh, the scene opens with them just throwing a big bucket of water on all of our is Henry actually Lucy's bio dad discussions. Yeah, it opens with Lucy's birth, not her actual birth, but like her Hen- presentation. Yes, Henry going all Lion King with her. You know, coming out, presenting her to her people who are, you know, uh, Tiana and Jack and Hook. So much for all that chemistry we saw between Ella and Jack. Yeah. I guess uh, that was nothing. I guess that was literally meaningless. Red herring, I guess. Maybe. Mm. Oh, maybe they're going to get into an Arthur Lancelot Guinevere thing from the original stories, not from Once Upon a Time. Right. So this naming day ceremony, this presentation ceremony, is interrupted by Drizella, who shows up to let them know that a curse is coming and it's going to happen on Lucy's eighth birthday. That's weirdly specific. It's a weird number, too. Yeah. It's it's a lot like when we talked about how Emma was going to be able to break the curse on her 29th birthday. Or 28th. 28th, specifically so she could be 18 when Henry was born. Right, but that's not like a magical fairy tale number. So, Drizella's like, ha 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 ha, I'm going to curse you all. And Henry's like, uh, look down. And it turns out they had a sort of Medusa spell on the ground. Yeah, they had like a turn you into a statue trap. So that when Drizella stepped forward, she got turned into a statue. As she's being turned into a statue, she proclaims, This is blood magic! How did you do this? And Lady Tremaine steps out and is like, Bitch, I'm on their side now. Huh. Like Uh. I said, this whole episode is like turning everything around so that we're where we are. I'm pretty sure they didn't discuss this with Ella. I feel like Ella would have some issues with them. Uh, You know... Unless something has happened in the time it took her to get pregnant and give birth to uh, Lucy. The last real interaction we saw was, gosh, I I guess they had the conversation over Anastasia's coma body. But very, very recently, uh, you know, Lady Tremaine framed her for murdering the prince and made her a public enemy. Also, remember that thing about her blaming the prince for her dad dying? Do you think we're ever going to come back to that? Or Oh, wow. I mean, we have to because there's so much that doesn't work yet. We have to bring that thread back in. Although, I, I would be okay with them dropping some threads. They had a lot of good forward m- momentum going, and this episode's kind of not that at all, so... Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's just, you know, like you said, it it's conspicuous that Ella, Lucy's mother, is not in this scene. But she has to not be in this scene because they haven't really worked out how she and Lady Tremaine worked out the whole you put my daughter into a coma thing. Mm. And and then I framed you for murder. Also, I kind of killed your mom, although I don't think you know about that. Okay, you know what? I wasn't down on this episode. But now I'm like, you know what would have been a much better episode to have right now is an episode where the 
past flashbacks showed how Ella and Lady Tremaine in the in fa- in fake fairy tale land came to terms with each other, how they came to forgive each other. Because mm. there's a lot of bad blood here, mostly on you know Lady Tremaine's part. Also. Yeah, but yeah, so this would have been yeah this time should have been spent showing how they reconciled. Mm. Hopefully, we do get that episode later. I don't know. I really want them to go back to just moving the plot forward. Well, so here's the thing. I not to not to flash back to what we used to do and just rewrite the whole episode. Mm. But, you know, to do that, the main plot of this episode is Regina going and getting Zelina back. Mm-hmm. And we get hints that within the curse they are estranged because Regina convinced Zelina's daughter to run off to Europe and, and flit about like a trust fund kid. Mm-hmm. And I would have much rather had an episode where the two storylines were... Ella and Lady Tremaine reconciling in the past and a story of how Regina and Zelina were best friends who became separated because of, you know, their Ronnie's partying. Ronnie's partying, yeah. And how they came back together to be friends now and then Zelina could still be woken up at the end of the episode. I, I hate saying this because I do enjoy Rebecca Mater as an actress, but... I feel like this, again, goes back to the weaker parts of the beginning of the season where you should be focusing on the new characters and not dredging up the old characters to rehash stuff. Well, if you do it my way, then the new storyline is mostly about Robin. Hmm. Hmm. Which makes sense because this season is about families being torn apart and coming back together. So, speaking of what actually happened in this episode... Oh, right. It's now eight years later... Uh, Lucy is celebrating her eighth birthday in Tiana's castle. I guess the rebellion was successful off screen. Tiana is now queen, so I guess they overthrew the evil king that we never met. Yep. Yep. Lots of stuff happened off screen. Yeah. And this is, they're all sort of Regency outfits, aren't they? Um, they're not, they're, they're a little older than Regency, but yeah, they're, they're a little more modern than, um classic fairy tale stuff yeah although i will say the outfit they have lucy in looks like stuff that i wore as a flower girl back in the 80s it's not a good look it's not luckily we don't have to look at it for long because the editing suddenly tries to kill anyone with epilepsy in the audience okay i liked the editing it it does it's the fast japanese horror movie cuts it just did not work for me uh, Mother Gothel jump cuts into frame. She's like, oh, it's like you forgot that apparently there was a prophecy about the dark curse being launched by Drizella and that that's happening now. This is the day that's happening. I mean, it's a little weird that they have the statuified Drizella in the courtyard where they're celebrating Lucy's eighth birthday, despite the fact that they know this is all supposed to happen on Lucy's eighth birthday. Yeah, that's real messed up. Also, is she just out in the garden all the time? What's the deal with that? I do not know. There is a great bit in X-Men First Class where there there's an old Silver Age story where the X-Men are fighting, uh, they're fighting the Beyonder along with the Brotherhood and the Beyonder turns Mastermind into a statue. And there's sort of a running gag in a lot of the uh, first class comics where 
he's standing in the corner of uh, the X-Mansion's hallway and everyone's using him as a coat rack. Oh, that's just insulting. It comes back later when uh, he... It turns out he's conscious as stone, and he uh, manages to tap into his powers and create a bunch of illusions to mess with them, because he's like, I'm still alive, I'm just a statue. It's hard to feel bad for Mastermind, because he's, you know, the worst, but... There's a there's a three-part episode of Farscape, which we'll get to when we do Welcome to the Uncharted Territories, mm-hmm. where kings and queens are, once they're at the point where they've been coronated, are turned to stone... And they kind of sit on the, their stone statues watch over the council and are conscious for like 50 years. And they, they learn from the council at that point while they're, you know, while the previous king and queen are still around. And then when those kings and queens die, they like get thawed out and are the perfect king and queen because they've spent 50 years just absorbing all of the wisdom of the council. Wow, that sounds deeply unpleasant. I think that'd mess you up pretty bad psychologically. Well, I mean, they're aliens, so I assume that mentally they're prepared to do that. But that's what I was thinking about. I was just imagining Drizella as Stone, just absorbed, just having to listen to all of the inane stuff that happens in this garden for the last eight years. Oh, God, I would be homicidal, too. (laughs) So... So... She gets de-stonified. Yes, uh, Mother Gothel jump cuts a bunch of hooded figures, and they're like the Council of Eight, or the Sisterhood of Eight, or... They're the titular Eight Witches. Yes. And she declares that these Eight Witches are so powerful as a group that they can outpower blood magic, so, okay. I mean, fine, I guess, whatever. As we learned from the Black Fairy, basically you can get through any requirement for a spell as long as you have enough dark mojo backing you up remember she cast the dark curse without needing to sacrifice anyone's heart i wonder if that's gonna come back this episode right because someone's about to cast a dark curse so uh she unstonifies drizella and they all bamf out and everyone's real upset about that yeah and then we cut to the hospital where everyone's real upset because lucy is in a coma a weird undefined coma and tiana pulls Tiana pulls Jacinda to the side and she's like, do you want me to call Nick or Henry? Which of the two dudes you're kind of dating do you want me to call? And Jacinda's like, neither? My kid's in a coma. I need to deal with this. No, I mean, be fair to Sabine. You need someone there with you. Sabine's there with her. Sabine's the one she's had a longer term relationship with. That's true. Also, Jacinda just says yes. So I assume that Sabine calls both Nick and Henry, hmm. although we will only see Henry show up this episode. So we go from that to Lady Tremaine watching Anastasia watching one of those really, really bad, like, I don't know if they're stock flash animation cartoons they use on TV shows for when people are supposed to be watching cartoons. Why would you not just use one of those old public domain cartoons from the 30s? You're ABC Disney. You could be using practically anything. Seriously, you have you have the rights to so much stuff, but instead it's, like, uh, my first walk cycle? So I actually assumed it was some cartoon I don't know about, some actual children's cartoon I don't know about, because, like I said, they're ABC Disney, they could be anything. But you know what, you're right, it looked, I'm, I, I have no idea what it is. But I assumed that the idea is it's a children's cartoon, specifically so that Anastasia, like, gets caught up on the modern world. 
Yeah, because keep in mind, I don't think Anastasia has a curse personality at all. I think she's just going into this blind. Yeah, she has no curse. Per- yeah, she has no curse memories. I mean, it would have been nice for spoiler alert for later in the episode. Drizella ish cast the dark curse. I'm assuming she laid down a lot of the relationship stuff. It seems like the dark curse needs less and less planning every time it gets cast in this show. To the extent that the dark curse is designed, Drizella designed this dark curse, but because of a line that's said later, apparently a lot of it is just random chance. Hmm. A lot of it's just auto-generated. I feel like that makes sense. I feel like it would make sense that the dark curse covers most of the stuff in broad strokes. Like, you can have specific things happen, but I don't think Regina gave a shit what happened to Hansel and Gretel. I feel like the dark curse kind of just carried most of the heavy lifting there. I'm thinking about the Rick and Morty episode, the uh, uh, Aliens episode, where Rick is caught in the machine that's trying to get information from his head. Mm-hmm. And to turn down the amount of memory that the machine is taking because... Um, you mean the bit where they trap Jerry in like a simulation on the lowest possible setting? Right, exactly. That's what I imagine that the rest of the Dark Curse is, is just that apples... <laughs> Yes. So Rumpelstiltskin's like, all right, looks like your daughter's alive and not in a coma and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to deal with my granddaughter, great-granddaughter. Great-granddaughter. We're going to deal with my great-granddaughter now, right? He's really not cool with the idea that bringing Anastasia back required... Lucy going into a coma. He's like, I did not buy into that. And Lady Tremaine's like, hey... Shut up. You are looking for your guardian who can liberate you from the Dark One curse thing. And that's very clearly my daughter. This my daughter. My daughter that counts. So shut the fuck up. And Rumpel's like, okay, look, I know you got your goal, but you realize you left so much damage in the wake here. Gothel and Drizella are still out there and they're not just going to let you chill out with Anastasia. So basically, Victoria has to do what Rumple wants at this point because she woke up Anastasia, but everything else about her position is incredibly unstable. Oh, yeah. Which is one of the things I liked about the direction they took Victoria Belfry here, that she isn't the sort of mastermind we've seen the sort of everything is going according to plan. She has no plan. She has no plan. She has vague goals and she's just sort of desperately doing whatever she can to get those goals fulfilled, which I think is a way more interesting take on this sort of character. Absolutely. So we go from there to San Francisco where Regina and Henry are. We see that Regina has some more of that potion that will wake someone up. And Henry is checking his phone. He has, like, a million and one missed calls from Jacinda, but now he can't get a hold of her. And Ronnie says, don't worry, if she needs you, she'll let you know she's not shy. And then she takes out a pair of gym shorts and she's like, put them on, we've got somewhere to go. Okay, so I think you and I have opposite reactions to this scene because I know you hate it and I love it. I love it. Hate is a strong word. I'm not going to say it's an inaccurate one. I think the reaction I had to this scene is the reaction most people have to puns. I appreciate what they did here, but it's also terrible. Okay, so we cut 
to Zelina, who in this world is a soul cycle instructor. Yes, the Wicked Witch of the West is teaching people to ride bikes. Well, she's not teaching people to ride no, she's bikes. she's doing a spin class. She's doing a spin class because the Wicked Witch of the West and bikes. Yes! Yes! <laughs> and she calls them. She's like, now fly, my little monkeys, my, fly! My cycling monkeys, which makes even less sense. I just, I really love this scene. <laughs> It's, I appreciate this scene. I can't lie and say that I wasn't like, oh God, when it came, but wow. So Henry, uh, to his eternal credit, Henry is super pissed about this. He's like, did we really just drive all the way down the Pacific Coast Highway so that I could work my quads? I do love the reveal of Zelina because they zoom through, they're in the back of the room and they zoom up to the front of the room and Zelina has her hair over her face so the camera can zoom up to her and then she can toss it back and be like, surprise, it's Zelina. I mean, like it was going to be anyone else, but yes, yes, it's amazing. It's just the, it's a non-revealing reveal, but it's such this. It's so extra. It's so staged. Who starts a spin class by talking with their hair in front of their face? Well, she's got the she's got the thing. She's got the microphone headset on, so she doesn't need to. The room does not look big enough for her to need that. I think it's required for also soul cyclers. I think it's a thing. So, back in the fairy tale flashback, they're all talking about what they're going to do if the curse hits and, you know, Henry and Ella are like I guess we're gonna have to do the stump thing like if regina can't stop the curse then we're gonna have to shove lucy in a stump and it's gonna be emma all over again and ella's like i really don't want to be david and mary margaret understandably right who does we go from that to regina arriving at emerald acres farms there's no place like home yeah okay so this is in the same universe, right? Oh my god, such a good question. Because later on, Henry is going to take Lucy to the Enchanted Forest. Yeah, so that that bit will... It, but I don't think they're supposed to be in the Enchanted Forest at this point. So here's the thing that I feel like we, you and I, forget a lot. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get to the world without magic. But everywhere else, it's not that difficult to get to. Mm -hmm. So I think that this place is in Oz, but that Regina traveled to Oz to get here. God, and what? that the Enchanted Forest is a different place than the world where Cinderella is, but Henry traveled there with Lucy yeah. to go get the stump. So I'm not sure why Zelina would want to go back to Oz. I mean, isn't Dorothy in charge now? I mean, maybe it's not Oz. I was just... Or a Oz, possibly, I mean. Yeah, this is just some, I, I think, I do think this is just some other place. Maybe it's not Oz, but, I mean, maybe it is in the Enchanted Forest. So Regina pulls up to this farm and she's distracted by a pig, a cute little piglet who I don't think is supposed to be Henwen, but that would be a good dive for this show. I mean, the camera zooms in on it long enough to make you notice it. Yeah. So maybe. A Black Cauldron reference. I know we've been making a lot of references to the Black Cauldron recently, but... Well, you and I have, but this show? Uh, God, that would be... You uh, You heard that they're making a live-action Hercules, right? 
No, I did not hear that. Yeah, it's been added to the slate. Huh. They've already done some of the casting for it. Apparently, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be Hades. No, why? Why? (sighs) I mean, the hell season of Once Upon a Time is so bad, I would feel like it would dissuade them from doing Hercules. just, Just on principle. The next Descendants movie has Hades as a main villain, so... Well, I mean, that's probably more because they're doing a live-action Hercules movie. Right. Which, I would really like for them to have someone where I can be like, Okay, I guess James Woods isn't the best Disney's Hades anymore, but that doesn't seem terribly like... It's not gonna be Benedict Cumberbatch. I don't get his appeal. I mean, like, I'm not casting dispersions on people who like him. I just don't get the appeal of him as an actor. He's fine. Yeah, he's yeah, he seems fine. I don't think that I, I don't people talk about how brilliant he is all the time and I'm like I'm just not seeing it. You know, it's really weird. We're not all the way, you and I are not all the way through Good Omens yet. I've watched it all, but you haven't watched it all yet. Mhm. Uh Benedict Cumberbatch plays Satan in Good Omens. Mm. Yeah, but he's he's the voice of a CGI creature and he has two lines and they brought Benedict Cumberbatch in to do it. That seems like a really big waste of money. Probably a big waste of money, but definitely the best use of Benedict Cumberbatch. Damn. Bring him in for two lines and be like, Benedict Cumberbatch as Satan. And then that's it. That's good. I know it's really old hat, but, you know, the whole Frumius Bandersnatch thing. That Cinnamon people... Toast and Crunch? Yeah. Like, it's such a basic joke, but I really enjoyed it. Benedict Cumberbatch with name on loan from J.K. Rowling. Mm. So Regina pauses outside of this farm only to get arrowed. Well, arrows come at her around her hand when she puts her hand on the gate. But they do not hit her, presumably on purpose. Next time I'm going to aim at the mannequin and hit you. Exactly. She turns around and she sees that it is an adult woman. It is an adult woman, Robin, who the... Dialogue very firmly establishes is 25. Yes, yes. This woman who is 25 is like, oh, Aunt Regina, this is Robin. And honestly, I started to try to figure that out. I was like, wait, wait, wait. 25, so that means. And before I could even work it out in my head, Regina says, well, I'm not here to talk about timelines. As though to say, don't worry about time. As though to answer our endless what is time queries with, don't worry about it. Because Regina should really be in her late 50s, early 60s at this point. But I guess magic, so... Well, I mean, I believe that the point here is that in this realm, time does run a little differently, so... Then Zelina should be in her... 50s or possibly early 60s at this point but fairy tale characters don't really age see fairy tale characters only have three ages mm-hmm. a child adult old person right an old person is just adult with makeup usually so so witches such as these two are are only ever maidens mothers or crones And you don't age into being a crone. You're a mother until the day you're not. And then you wake up and you look in the mirror and you say, oh, I'm a crone now. So is Rose McGowan Cora's maiden form? Yeah. And then Barbara Hershey was her mother form. Exactly. Okay. Okay. That explains why she 
aged from Rose McGowan to Barbara Hershey and then just never aged past that point. Exactly. The, the nice thing about being in a modern fairy tale retelling is that you almost never age into a crone. Yeah. God. Uh, so she was Rose McGowan when Regina was born and then like eight years later she was Barbara Hershey. Yeah. Because she didn't age into Barbara Hershey. She just woke up as Barbara Hershey. I was going to say that must have been kind of a surprise for old Henry, but I mean, I don't think they shared a bedroom. Also, this is how aging works in this world, so it wasn't that much of a surprise. He was like, oh, looks like you're a mother now. It's kind of weird that he went from, like, attractive young old Henry to old Henry. I feel like she was still Rose McGowan at a point where he was old Henry. Oh, well, see, princes don't have a mid-stage, okay? So princes are prince and king, Mm. and kings are old. So... That's it. So when you're a maiden, the prince woos you. And so your whole maiden and mother phase are with the prince, hopefully. Or like halfway through your mother phase, presumably the prince ages into the king. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It all tracks, trust me. So Regina has come to consult Zelina about the Council of Eight. We really... The Eight Witches... The Coven of the Eight. Thank you. The Coven of the Eight, who... Apparently tried to recruit Zelina for more evil mojo. You'd have to change your name. Unless it's a Secret Six thing. Yeah, I think I think it is. The Secret Six, they're this group in DC where it's sort of a running gag. They're called the Secret Six, but they tend to have anywhere from four to eight members. Like, it's just whoever's on the team at the time. So even though they're called the Secret Six, they don't often have six people on the team. Oh, see, I actually think it's more like the Hellfire Club. Mm. where there are positions so there's positions one through eight but they're filled by whichever various witches can be recruited at that time Mm. so you know there's always a white queen and a black queen but they're recruited Mm. so do you think if they have more than eight people or do you think that they couldn't get selena so they just found another witch yeah i think they couldn't get selena so they found another witch Uh, yeah and the symbol by the way Zelina shows Regina the coin that they left to try to recruit her, and the symbol on the coin is the symbol that we've been seeing before. The symbol that the symbol that Eloise Gardner had drawn in her notebook, and the symbol that that one guy had tattooed that he told Hook meant protection, but really, apparently, it was the Coven of the Eight. Hmm. So do you think they found some random guy and had him get that tattoo for... No, I think he was a thrall of the Coven of the Eight. Huh. Yeah. That tracks. So... Apparently, Zelina got her magic back at some point because Regina's like, look, they're trying to start this new dark curse, blah, 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 and I need your help stopping it. And Zelina's like, let me get my wand. And we were both like, didn't you lose your magic when the Black Fairy sucked it into those crystals? But I guess it grew back. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. She does a thing where she takes off her apron and goes to get her wand, which I did appreciate as a small touch that was like, the heist movie recruiting people back in the heist kind of thing. It's that scene where What's-Her-Face goes to her garage and it's so full of all the stuff she's stolen. Yeah, in Ocean's 8 when she recruits Sarah Paulson into the gang. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good movie. I know it. I know. So we cut back to the cycling class where Zelina tells, I'm sorry, Kelly, which is a pun I did not get the first time we were watching it's this. Kelly Green. Yes. Because she's the Wicked Witch. So Kelly is very upset to see Ronnie there. She's like, you are the epicenter of my unhappiness. And I'm like, that's a very artful way of saying that. 
she tells Henry to leave, and she's like, what, is that your new boy toy? And Regina's like, ew, no, ew, why? Why would you, why? No, ew. Um, what's funny here is it's totally, obviously, obviously it's gross because he's her son. Gross. But also, if she didn't know he was her son, he doesn't look like an especially young guy for her to be dating. Yeah, like Zelina says boy toy, but Henry looks maybe 10 years younger than her, if that. Henry looks like he's in his 30s, and Regina looks like like she's in her 40s. Yeah, I was going to say late 30s, early 40s. Like, it's not that big of an age difference. Which is its own problem, because she is, in fact, his mother. Like, this isn't a what-is-time issue. You know, I did the whole speech about Mother Maiden Crone, but in this instance, she should be, like, 20 years older than him, and she does not look 20 years older than him. Mm. But that just might be her aging really well. I mean, we've looked up before how old Lana Priya actually is, right? Oh, yeah, she she's not aging at all. It's like uh, that girl who played Kendra in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh! who like still plays teenagers yeah i i saw this chart of her on twitter uh where it was just listing all of the uh, years she has played teenagers apparently she's in like the vampire diaries as a teenager and it's like that show takes place like that show happened like 20 years after buffy well and i mean as long as you brought it up barbara Hirsch, she's in her 70s and also still looks good so i guess that's just what happens when you're an actress hmm So we get a little bit of the Ronnie Kelly backstory. Apparently they were friends who are as close as sisters. And apparently Ronnie is the person who ruined Kelly's daughter's life by telling her that college is for losers and buying her a ticket to Amsterdam. See, this is what I'm saying. Wouldn't you rather be getting that story? Yeah. Yeah, I I think I would. Also, I feel like the appeal of trips to Amsterdam is kind of... Negated now that pot is legal yeah i was in, in, in many many states yeah i was sort of doing the math in my head where i was like wait a second when, when did pot become legal in seattle it what? was oh you know what it was not wait was it did pot become legal in washington before or after oregon before oregon right i think it was one of the first states so well if it was before oregon then it was definitely before this episode was airing hmm but we have to think in the timeline when she would have gone to college. Well, I mean, the point is, though, because she's not in Amsterdam now. In fact, Kelly... I mean, Amsterdam is totally nice. There are definitely good reasons to go there. I've never been to Amsterdam. Oh, you should go. The Reichenstadt Museum, I think it's called. It's pretty nice. And they've got the Van Gogh Museum. And it's just, it's a really pretty place. There's all these bridges. It's like if Portland was a smaller town, sort of. Okay, that sounds amazing. Yeah, there's all these bridges and you can walk everywhere. It's really cool. Wow. Well, Kelly says that Robin... No, she doesn't say Robin. She just says her daughter. And actually, considering what happens later in this episode, Robin may not actually be her daughter. But she says her daughter is off at a foam party in Phuket now. Uh, Boy, Phuket gets a lot of pleasure. You know, there are people who just, like, live in Phuket and, like, work and have jobs and stuff, right? It's weird how that's this show's, like, go-to Pleasure Island place. Yeah. Also, are phone parties, have you ever been to one? No, I, they sound terrible. Yeah, I'm like, do you wear clothes that you don't like very much? Yeah, or... I, yeah you wear clothes that you don't, that you, yeah. You have to wear clothes that are attractive, but also you don't care if they're ruined, or I don't know what kind of foam they use, maybe it doesn't matter. Well, I don't think it ruins your clothes, but, I mean, I don't know. I guess if, if I was going to go to a foam party, I would wear probably leggings and just a close fitting 
long sleeve t-shirt I, I guess i just don't get why foam is supposed to be fun i mean i guess i can kind of see it being fun but it seems like a weird context for that like if someone had a one of those like giant adult themed uh, like like one of those remember the adventure zone kind of interconnecting tubes with slides and ladders and stuff if someone had one of those for adults i'd be super into it but it seems like it would be a weird thing to theme a club around i think the foam is fun because you're on ecstasy oh well you should do i I think it's a tactile thing because you're on drugs that enhance your tactile sensations i'm still pushing for my i don't know if they were called adventure zones or whatever but i'm still pushing for those for adults that would also be fun if you were on ecstasy one would imagine oh my god the liability issues well, wasn't that the thing that shut all of those places down anyway? Oh, uh, you're calling it Adventure Zone. No, it was called Discovery Zone. Discovery Zone, yeah. Adventure Zone's a podcast. Discovery Zones. I actually just watched a Defunct Land episode about Discovery Zones because they were owned by Disney and they were an attempt to put Chuck E. Cheese's out of business. Oh. Did it work? No, they really went out of business because they expanded too fast. Yeah, because I remember there was a brief period where there were everywhere... I mean, they had Disney money behind them, so they could expand quickly, and they just expanded too fast and saturated the market. That's why they went out of business. There's still a uh, Chuck E. Cheese not terribly far from where we live. I never went to one. You've never been to a Chuck E. Cheese? No, I... As a child, like, no child ever had a birthday party at a Chuck E. Cheese? It was all at Discovery Zones. Or Screaming Mimi's, which was like a Discovery Zone, but not... Oh, that must have been a regional thing. I've never heard of those. Yeah, they had a Screaming Mimi's and they had a, uh, God, there was one in my hometown that burned down that was like a third party one that everyone had their parties at because it was in the center of town and it was super convenient. It was next to a bakery. So if you... I guess that's why everyone had their parties there because, you know, you get the cake and then you'd go over. Right. Well, and I mean, we had a, ours, our place where you had parties that wasn't Chuck E. Cheese, um... Our, like, little regional place was called Pirate's Cove. Yeah. Yeah, you showed me that when we went to your hometown. Yeah. It was cool because it had putt-putt as well. Yeah, I feel like the local versions of those things are almost always better than... I can't really judge having, at least in my memory, never been to a Chuck E. Cheese, but I can't... I'd imagine that the local versions of them are better. I mean... Just because you'd have more room for sort of customization... I'd imagine there's a lot of very specific rules you'd have. Well, I mean, only Chuck E. Cheese has the frightening animatronic rats. Speaking of, you know what I found out about Chuck E. Cheese? What? The uh, mascot, Chuck... Charles Entertainment Cheese? Charles Entertainment... Oh my god, (laughs) I love that. Is that accurate? Yeah! Oh my god. So, uh, he is voiced now, or since the early 2000s, I think... By the uh, front singer guy from Bowling for Soup. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say Billy West. No. Oh, that would make sense, though. I would not be surprised. But no, it's the front guy from Bowling for Soup, apparently. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if he sings in commercials now. I, I, we, we don't really see commercials anymore. So. Right, because it's a streaming environment now. Well, the only place I really still see them is at work. Yeah, because there's a TV on in the break room. Oh, we don't have a TV on at my work. Which, it's beyond me how loud they let commercials be as compared to... Yeah, they're not supposed to do that. But it's... But they do. Nobody regulates it because nobody watches TV with commercials anymore. 
And we, we pay and we pay the premium so we don't even have to watch Hulu with commercials anymore. I forget where we were where we were watching something on regular TV. It must have been a hotel. But we were watching something on regular TV. I think it was Friends. And you could actually hear them speeding up because you know how uh, TV now they uh, they speed up shows so they can fit more commercials in. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be so subtle you don't realize it, but you could really tell it was pitched up. Well, and I recently watched on broadcast TV an episode of Friends, and they ran the credits in a little box in the corner during the show to add those extra like three minutes to the show, to commercials. God, and I mean, we both saw that video about how traditional advertising isn't working as well anymore because, you know, it's sort of a one-trick pony that has run its trick. And, uh, God, well, who who did that? Was it uh, H-Bomber guy who had that really interesting uh, video about the way advertising has evolved over time? H-Bomber guy talked about that in his video about woke brands. Yeah, the woke brand advertisement thing which you should watch it's very informative and my god we need to get back to talking about this show so kelly storms out and henry comes back in and he tells regina that he's gotten in touch with jacinda and lucy is in the hospital so he has to go he's getting on a plane to seattle right now is she coming and she's like i can't i need to like i know this is very important but this is also very important i really need to get kelly on our side you go and i will meet you back there Yes, and you could tell how torn up she is because she is obviously, I mean, Lucy's her grandchild, Mm. even though Henry doesn't know that. She says to Henry, go be with your family, and then stops herself and says, go be with Jacinda. So we cut back to vague fairy tale land where Rumpelstiltskin has gone full old school dark one for some reason. Yeah, what's going on here? Because, like, this is the Rumpelstiltskin who watched... Bell die, right? This isn't some parallel universe, Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, I, I was wondering about that because this is post Bell death Rumple, the one whose main goal is to not be the Dark One anymore, and yet he's leaning really hard into old school Dark One tropes for no reason. Well, I mean, I assume this is part of his own story about whatever's going on with him, but we have gotten none of that. So he's just Rumpelstiltskin spinning straw into gold now full dark one face and all yeah so okay so hook comes up to him and he's like you have to be able to do something to start uh to stop the dark curse you're the dark one it it tracks and rumple's like well i can't stop it for some reason but what i can do is i can give you this white elephant it's a little porcelain white elephant figurine. It's, I think it's probably carved out of ivory. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, probably. I mean, probably not really. The prop probably isn't, but... Hook, you don't have to worry. An ivory dealer would have plenty of ivory and thus less reason to harm Stampy. Exactly. Uh, Rumble tells him that it's a white elephant and a white elephant is the name for something that has lost its usefulness, which is not true. And the thing is, I feel like I don't want to give too much weight to how that's not true, because I think the show might think that. Mm. But a white elephant is a gift that you give to someone that is really more of a curse and a burden than a gift, which does work for this. But I'm not sure if the show knows that. Yeah, it seems sort of like they accidentally got it right. Yeah, so see, a white elephant is, um, is a precious thing. 
so you can't use it for work. You, you can't use it as a working animal, but it's still an elephant, so it still eats, like, ten times its weight in produce every day. So it's a gift that is a burden. Mm. Anyway, he gives Hook this figurine, this white elephant figurine, and tells him that what will happen with the figurine is when the curse is cast, he will still be Alice's father. Yes, he'll still have the curse memories, he still won't know who he is, but the thing the white elephant does is preserve relationships between people. So if... Wait a second. Okay, but there's only one white elephant. How would it know which relationship to preserve? Well, I mean, I assume it just knows. I, I, it's, I, I guess it's magic. It's magic! <laughs> yeah, literal magic. Okay. So I do love how Alice... A wizard literally <laughs> did it! So Hook goes over to... Alice, who remember he can't be with because of the poison heart thing, but apparently she can stand behind a tree like five feet away from him. Well, I thought that the thing with the poisoned heart was that they just couldn't touch, but apparently you also have to like stand on either sides of trees and talk to each other dramatically. Yes, not look directly at each other. So he's going to give her the white elephant so that presumably their relationship no 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 rumple gives him the white elephant but he gives it to him rumple tells hook that the reason he's giving it to him is because he rumple cares about alice so he just tells alice not to worry that when the curse happens he'll still be her father and then and plus then the poison heart won't be an issue and she's like that's cool can you deliver this letter to the lady i love more than anything else in the universe I mean, except for you, Dad. You're super cool. I didn't write a letter for you, but that's because you know how I feel. And Hook's like, oh, God damn it. I'm going to have to give I'm going to have to give the elephant to this girl so that my daughter can still be with the woman she loves. Which but that's is not this, what he does. Yeah. I, that, that actually would have been cool. That would have been a great sacrifice, but that's not what he does. Yeah, it's weird. That seems sort of how they're setting it up, and then it's just not... Yeah, I mean, that would have been great. Instead, he just tells her, don't worry, it's true love. You'll definitely find her in this other world. <laughs> like We did not mention before, by the way, that when Regina first found... That when Regina first tracked down Zelina at her farm to call her back to, back to battle, Robin immediately said that she had to go warn someone. Yes, she... They did the thing that made me think that, uh, you know... The enchanted frog had a dude love where uh, she talked about how she's found a true love and there was a lot of very specific avoiding of pronouns while discussing this. Except in this case, it's true. Yes. In this case, it's not just that they're both secretly frogs. Yes. Although God knows the season's still going. They could turn out to both secretly be frogs at some point. But if that is the case, they're both girl frogs. Yes. Alex Jones must be pissed somewhere. I'm joking. That's always true. Weird, weird, weirdly relevant poll. Mm, God. So back in Hyperion Heights, Tilly, who is Alice's cursed persona, approaches Hook and tells him that she needs to show him something. She needs to show him something that's important, that's way more important than Lucy being in a coma. I do sort of like how this ties into the gentrification thing. Where she needs to show him before it's gone because they're getting rid of all of the graffiti that's been around the Hyperion Heights troll. And one of the pieces of graffiti is the uh, Coven of Eight sigil. Yes. 
So we go from that to... And I'm important to note that the reason this scene comes immediately after the scene we just saw is because Hook and Tilly are not father and daughter here. Yes. So the show is letting us know that at some point Hook did not hold on to that white elephant. Hmm. So Henry shows up to the hospital and Jacinda runs into his arms and, you know, sobs into his manly man chest. And uh, we get a slow zoom in on Lucy, who is still in her coma. Then we cut to Regina getting ready to wake up Zelina. She pours the wake up juice into a flask of McCutcheon whiskey. Okay. It bothered me so much. Please. uh, You look like you're bothered, too. Can we let's talk about all the things we're bothered about and see if they're the same things. Why would she do that? It seems like it would just dilute it to the point of not being useful anymore. Right? And, okay, maybe it's magic, so maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it, like, can't be diluted. But what if, as does happen, Zelina doesn't drink anymore and she doesn't want any of your whiskey? Seriously, like, you have the little vial of clear liquid. Wait until you're gonna, you know... Not to give you roofing tips, but wait until you, you're you around something that she would actually drink. It's, I don't get why she would pour, and even if she was going to do it as a shot, why would you not just pour the whiskey into the little thing? Right, instead of into the entire bottle of whiskey, which I do have to say, they wanted to zoom in on the McCutcheon label because it's a Lost reference. McCutcheon whiskey is from Lost. Um... But it wasn't worth how irritated I am about how unlikely this is to work. So Ronnie comes up to Zelina after the class and she's like, so at the end of the day, yeah. the class ended. This is apparently at the end of Zelina's day. Yeah, Ronnie has been hanging out in the locker room all day waiting for Kelly to come back. And I do like how upfront Regina is about none of their fake history mattering. She's like, I know you're mad at me because of a whole bunch of fake bullshit, but shut up. None of that actually happened. Just drink this whiskey. And Kelly's like, I don't drink anymore. And Ronnie's like, shh, shut up and drink the whiskey. Yes. Zelina says she'd rather have some of the cucumber mint lavender water. Gross. But it lets you know what kind of place this, uh, why this wouldn't gym she, is. Why wouldn't she just pour the cucumber mint lavender water and then... Yeah, see, she would have been able to do that if she had saved that vial. Instead, she pours a incredibly tiny amount of liquor into one of the... Water cups. Water cups. And I just... It has to be so diluted. Well, I mean, I guess it's magic, so it doesn't matter how little of it there is. Zelina drinks it, and... It doesn't immediately work, so Regina assumes that it didn't work at all. But unlike most people who assume things don't work and getting upset and just storming off regina's like okay fuck it i am the evil queen from snow white you're the wicked witch of the west we're sisters just remember okay and selena's like what are you oh my god i remember everything and we get one of those like flashes to all the highlights of her wicked witchness in the show what's funny is the show has developed them to the point where they are sisters you know they're sisters who work together and love each other but all of the flashes that we get are her fighting with regina it's all of her iconic moments, although sadly not her hitting the Black Fairy with her car, which is by far my favorite thing that Zelina did on this show. Zelina's like, oh my god, I was cursed to be an exercise instructor and a hippie! What the hell? And Regina's like, okay, just catching you up, Gothel's out, Lucy's in a coma, you need to come with me to fix everything. And Zelina's like, 
Yes, you're right. Oh, shit, I forgot. I'm marrying a dude. Yep, it turns out she shows Regina a wedding dress because in her cursed persona as Kelly, she met a guy, they fell in love, and she is about to get married. Yeah. So... Awkward. Awkward. And Regina's like, none of that matters? Like, this is all bullshit. Come on, come with me. And she's like... Well, I mean, Kelly presumably... Or Zelina now. Zelina presumably still has Kelly's memories of this guy. And he presumably was a decent enough guy that she fell in love with him. So even though it was a cursed persona, she probably still has feelings of love for him. I mean, point. But at the same time, like, she seems actively disgusted by her cursed persona. So I can't imagine she and this guy who she's going to marry actually have that much in common. Yeah, it's true. Like, I mean... I guess it's nice that she's consensually dating someone for once, but... Yeah. So, back in Hyperion Heights... Wait, I, I just want to point oh. this out. We, we glossed very much over it earlier, but when, you know, Robin shoots the arrows at Regina, Selena comes up and she's like, oh, she inherited... She must have inherited her aim from her father. And I'm like, how much does Robin know about her father? Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, what's up with Roland? Does she know she has a half-brother out there? Well, her half-brother is older than her, and she's 25, so I assume he's out in the world making making his way, as you do. I'm kind of curious. I don't think we're going to get follow-up on Roland, but I would be curious to see what her relationship to him is. I mean, Roland is like a 32-year-old man. He's probably off living a different life, married and raising his own family and doing his own thing. But, like, does he have any relationship with Robin at all? I assume because Zelina still raised him. Didn't she? No, or he, he was he, raised by the Merry Men. Yeah. Oh, probably not then. Yeah, I imagine they wouldn't be big on her bringing Robin around. I feel like there's a lot of interesting stuff you could do with that particular dynamic, although they probably wouldn't because it would go into what Zelina did to... The show really doesn't want us to think about how non-consensual the relationship with Zelina and Robin was, so... Robin the guy, not Robin the daughter. Right. So... Robin Hood, not Robin Witch. Right. So we're never, we're never going to get those stories. Robin West... Ooh, I like that. So back in Hyperion Heights, Rumple is showing Anastasia a selection of daggers to do the like... Is she the guardian? This is the guardian test. This is that one episode of King of the Hill where Bobby turns out to be not the Dalai Lama, but a lesser llama. But it's an actual test. Yeah. You know, that that real thing that that fictional thing was based on. Yeah. So he tells her to figure out which of these daggers is magical, although none of them is the Dark One dagger. And And the daggers all begin shaking, and then they rise up in the air and fly into the door of a cupboard in the room. And Anastasia really uh, underplays, I think the dagger's in there. (laughs) I do really like that. She just kind of points out, she's like, I think it might be in there. And it is indeed in there, in its special Dark One dagger box. This is where I feel like a lot of the, she feels a lot like how adaptations, especially the Dark Phoenix movie that just came out, handle young Jean Grey. 
she talks about how she doesn't want the power uh how it's too much for her she says she doesn't want the power if it's going to do things like that i mean that was just throwing daggers (laughs) we have only begun to scratch the surface of what the power can do it is sort of weird that i guess she didn't have magic before she fell through the ice i don't know like suddenly she wakes up from the coma and she has magic i guess i don't know i feel like she should have other things to be more concerned about they do tell her that she can use her magic for other things like magic's just a tool it's not inherently good or evil despite Mm. the fact that on this show it definitely is but she can use her magic to heal not just to throw daggers at people speaking of there's a little girl in a coma she should probably get around to but before we get to that, we're going to go back to San Francisco and Regina and Zelina. Where they're talking about how he's a good, like how the guy Zelina is going to marry is a regular, solid, good guy who's a real, normal, 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 normal person. So that's... So he's probably a flying monkey, right? Yeah, exactly. Was it? Yeah, that was exactly the thing with... Uh... Emma. No, I can't remember his fake name. Joe, not a monkey. <laughs> Walsh. Yes, Yes, it, it, it's definitely going to be a Walsh situation. Yeah. Which, you know, when they're having all that panic about Emma, like, oh, if she kills someone, she'll cross the line. She did kill Walsh. Walsh was a human guy. No, he wasn't. He was a flying monkey. When she killed him. I, does it not count if you kill people when they turn into animals? That is correct. That's specific. Yes. Those are the rules. I guess that does sort of track with it was cool to stab Maleficent when she turned into a dragon. Right. Or it was okay to throw her baby into a death pit when it was in an egg, but when a human hand shot up out of the egg, all of a sudden it was bad, even though you knew that the egg had been laid by a human woman. Which is its own nightmare body horror scenario. Presumably she turned into a dragon to lay it. Okay, but you knew it was Maleficent's egg. Yeah. So... Blah, blah, blah. Zelina's not sure she can come because she loves this guy. But you know what? Actually, she is going to come, so... Because eh. she's a hero now. And that's what heroes do. They go to Seattle. Yeah. And there, there's sort of this awkward pause where they're both standing there and Zelina's like, okay, let's let's go. And they put their coats on. It's really weird that this scene goes on for as long as it does. It's a surprisingly long scene. Like, was the ep- Did the episode come up short? I don't know. So much stuff happens. It's just weird that we see them get their coats and then they stand there and sort of look at each other for a little bit and then Zelina's like, okay, I guess we should go now. I mean, I think we're supposed to see them connecting as sisters. Also, it is sort of weird that Zelina brought her uh, wedding dress to her exercise studio. No, she probably picked it up from the alteration place on her way to work. Hmm. It seems dangerous just to have that there it's in the coat room it would be so easy to steal well, no no she came in carrying it i assumed it was locked up in her locker i assume she has like an employee locker it's weird i thought i thought she just opened a thing in the coat room and it was there no no she brought she brought it in with her when she walked into the room mm. it was weird that she <laughs> anyway doesn't matter does not matter so we cut back to the hospital where jacinda is leaving henry alone with lucy she hands him the book and she's like you should read to her the Be- Once Upon a Time book. The Once Upon a Time book. Because if you're anything like your grandmother, your reading will be so terrible it will wake her out of this coma. That is what happened. It will be so bad she will wake out of the coma to tell you to stop. Then we cut back to the Enchanted Forest, 
where Henry has brought Lucy to the enchanted tree. The enchanted tree that they're going to carve into a wardrobe or something so that they can all escape the curse. Okay, so... I know the way the Dark Curse works has never been super consistent, but why do they not just go to a different realm? Like, Oz wasn't affected by the Dark Curse. I mean, they're already in a different realm. No, it's a good point. That's a strong point. You know what? Let's not think about that too hard. Because Tiger Lily is there. Tiger Lily is there because she helped identify which tree was the enchanted tree. It's called the Enchanted Forest. They shall be enchanted trees, but... But really, the only reason Tiger Lily is there, because that doesn't make any sense that she's the one who showed him where the enchanted tree was and fetched Geppetto's axe so that they can cut it down. But the only reason it's Tiger Lily is because it was Tiger Lily in the finale last season. Yeah. So we're just sort of cramming all of these pieces back into the places they were in. Even though... Maybe you could have established that Tiger Lily was Lucy's fairy godmother in, like, literally a scene before this, like, when she was born. See, that would have been good. That would have made sense. Although, given how badly she whiffed the whole Rumpelstiltskin thing, maybe, uh, maybe not so much. Yeah, maybe not the greatest fairy godmother. Lucy doesn't want to escape through the tree because she's a hero, too, and she wants to stay and fight the Dark Curse. But and presumably she read the original uh, Once Upon a Time story by this point. She's like, I really don't want to spend 28 years as a bounty hunter. Yeah. Although, it worked out really well for Emma. Look how, you know, Emma versus Princess Emma. Yeah, I think Emma's, yeah, I think Emma did okay. But, but she was lonely a lot. It's, a... it's true. She was sad and lonely. This, Henry is chopping down the tree and... Then we uh, cut back to the scene that was very clearly filmed last minute to stick in the end of the finale so people would know that the show would keep going. Yeah, so now we get the scene that was like the first scene of the finale where Henry comes running into the cabin where Lucy is sleeping and tells her that she needs to escape with the book, with the Once Upon a Time book. And see, the thing is, you can tell it's the footage because Lucy suddenly de-ages a whole bunch yeah, a year is a long time for a child actor. Yeah, so... It's just so weird because they're in, like, a fairy tale cottage, even though this entire season has taken place more in a Victorian-era setting. Yeah, and the, I guess, Coven of Eight bursts in and they're roaring like a monster because that's the footage we already had. Yep. Anyway, then we cut back to... Tiana's palace where Lucy shows up and tells them what's going on tells them that Henry has been taken and just and Ella's like okay we can't let that distract us we have to still do whatever we can to stop the dark curse from going so we're gonna go to that isolated mountaintop place where you gotta cast the dark curse apparently and uh, we cut to that isolated mountain place where you have to cast the dark curse apparently we very conspicuously don't see any of the Coven of Eight's faces except for Gothel and Drizella. I mean, I'm really hoping they'll do something cool when they finally reveal who is part of the Coven of Eight, but I'm not getting my hopes up. Yeah, so Drizella's like, I've waited so long. Thank you, mother figure. And Gothel's like, mm, yeah, okay. Here's the thing. Max. Max. Mm-hmm. Here's my problem with where we are right now in this season. All right. 
What does Drizella want? Okay. So, that's a really good point. She wants to punish her mom, apparently. I guess it seemed to be where this was leaning. Okay, but that makes a lot more sense early in the season before we saw that, like, she rejected her mom when she was five. Like, she rejected her mom when she was five and never let her back in. So, at what point is she... She needs the dark curse to reject her as thoroughly as possible. I I don't know. Maybe she's mad at uh, Lady Tremaine for making Ella's mom go away because Ella's mom was like a mom to her. I mean, that, okay, that makes some sense. But it does seem like there's a whole bunch of unnecessary steps. Like, you, you have magic powers. You could just trap her in a hole or something. It's just, I know what Lady Tremaine wants. She wants to wake up Anastasia. I know what Regina wanted. She wanted to punish Snow White for causing the death of her fiancé. I don't know what Drizella wants, and I don't know what is achieved by casting the Dark Curse to get what she wants. Like, I get that she wants to hurt her mom, but this seems a little extra. I mean, it, it seems a lot extra. You, even by the standards Regina has set, like, you can just not talk to your mom anymore. I mean, also, I get, I guess, that she wants to hurt her mom but i don't really get why it still seems like a pretty outsourced reaction considering the history of the two of them yeah i I don't know so drizella uh so speaking of lady tremaine lady tremaine shows up and she's like oh so you finally found a mother figure have you and this would have been a good place for drizella to say i had one until you got her killed Maybe, maybe. But instead, Drizel is like, I'm sick of you controlling me, mother. Now I'm going to control you. I'm going to cast the Dark Curse, and I'm going to cast it so that you think you cast it. and uh, then So that the beginning of this season will make sense? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm basically. She, she literally says, stop asking silly questions, and she may as well be saying it to me. Because I'm just, I'm just... I'm just a podcaster standing in front of a stepsister asking her what exactly her motivation is right now. Which Regina pops in and she's like, so still working through your mommy issues, huh? And Drizella's like, it seems weird. Uh, like, it makes more sense with you two, but we're on an isolated mountaintop. How do people keep on sneaking up on us here? It's true because Hook jumps behind Gothel and, and manages to, like, get the drop on her. That's, that's... That should not be. That's not the power dynamic there. So, uh, they decide to have a witch fight, and it is kind of cool, especially after how easily the Black Fairy kicked Regina's ass. It is pretty cool to see Regina mystically holding her own against Drizella, which I know Drizella was her apprentice, and she had, like, a week's worth of magic tutoring, so it's not a huge deal, but... No, we definitely still needed to see Regina be a badass. So, she's got all of the... They basically just kick uh, Drizella's ass and... Until Drizella reveals her secret advantage, which is that she has Henry tied up, hidden underneath one of the robes. Yes, Henry is tied up and they have poisoned him with a poison so deadly he's going to die from it. Yes, and even true love's kiss is not sufficient, apparently. Uh, Is it, it... I was going to say, is it Deadly Nightshade or whatever it was called? But there were lots of cures for that. 
apparently the okay so true love's kiss can't cure him the only thing that can cure him is being brought to a land without magic because it's magic poison so in a world so shouldn't true love's kiss break that i thought true love's kiss undid all magic yes the dark curse will stop this from happening and the dark curse can be defeated by true love's kiss but not the poison Right, because the whole point of them doing this to Henry is so that they won't break the curse, because breaking the curse will make Henry die. But yes, as you said, if the curse is going to save Henry's life, and true love's kiss will break the curse, true love's kiss should save him from the poison. Also, not to be Johnny Pedantic, but that is basically my role in all things, uh, David got stabbed to death at the beginning of the original Dark Curse, and then... Once the Dark Curse was cast, he didn't have to worry about the fact that he was stabbed to death right before it happened. Like, it seems like the Dark Curse kind of just resets you to your default, so... Now, to be fair, Rumpelstiltskin's Dark Heart did start to choke him to death once the curse was broken. After a lot of other stuff happened. That took a while. Also, also, the whole... What's it called? The Dream Shade or whatever. Yeah, that's a magic poison that was killing him in the world without magic. Yes. But this magic poison won't. Correct. So Drizella tells Regina that the only ingredient she needs to cast the Dark Curse at this point is the magic of a witch who has crushed the heart of the thing she loves the most. It's convenient that this time around no one has to do that. Also... It's kind of a giant F you to Snow and David having to do the whole ripping the heart in half to save David after ripping David's heart out thing. Like, if Regina can apparently just cast the Dark Curse all willy-nilly now. Yeah, Regina can cast the curse whenever, apparently. Although, I thought that was a really cool solution. And also, was Regina with them when they had to do that? Yeah. Oh. (laughs) She really should have spoken up then. (laughs) Do you think she just didn't know? And she's looking back on that now and she's like, oh... Huh. I think she didn't know, and I think she's looking back on it, and I think she's going, ha, that's funny. Because, I mean, let's be fair, it's Snow and David. So, uh, Rumple is teaching Anastasia a spell that will help her decomify Lucy. Yeah, he says that in this land, she's the only one who has magic, so she's the only one who can cast the spell. And she's like, I am, but what about... And then she blue screens yeah she like zones out and she's like someone's here it's her and then gothel shows up and is like and gothel's about well uh first anastasia starts freaking out and we get another dark phoenix she's losing control anastasia look at me look at me anastasia you have to calm down you have to control the power so it doesn't control you they are saying that to anastasia but i assumed it was gothel who was doing this But Uh, you're right, you're right, they're saying that to Anastasia. Yeah, and everyone gets blown back by Anastasia's power. Yeah, maybe they shouldn't have been telling her to control her power, and instead telling her to focus her power on Mother Gothel, instead of just, like, having essentially an explosion of power that hit everyone. So now Victoria, Rumpel, and Gothel are all unconscious on the ground. God, this is reminding me so much of the Dark Phoenix movie. Yeah. It's not good. So Ivy shows up and yeah, Anastasia goes running out of the room after knocking everyone out 
with her magical, uncontrollable powers. And she's like, look, I know that you have magic, and I know that you can't control it, but I'm older than you, and I also have magic, and I can control it. So I'm basically going to be uh, Jessica What's-Her-Face. Chastain. I'm going to basically... I'm sorry, there's so much spoilers for the Dark Phoenix movie, but also no one saw it. So and I no one like, should. I'm Jessica Chastain's character. I'm going to take the power from you because I can control it. Um, Ivy wraps Ivy Vines around Anastasia's wrist. And don't forget, these two are sisters. So Anastasia inherently trusts Drizella because it's her sister. Also, ace job recognizing Drizella, even though she's in her 20s now and was a younger child when you fell through the ice. Yes. Also... I guess it's probably magic. Not to not to harp so much on what is Drizella's motivation, but we never saw any hatred or jealousy between Drizella and Anastasia. And when Anastasia sees Drizella, her immediate thought is, oh good, it's my sister. She's my sister. We protect each other. But no, Drizella's just ready to rip out all her magic. To be fair, it doesn't particularly seem like she wants her magic. Drizella wants Anastasia's magic. No, it doesn't seem like Anastasia wants her magic. Yes, but, I mean, there's no animosity between them. So why is Drizella such a bitch to Anastasia? Mommy issues? That's all we seem to be getting on this front. I mean, basically the only motivation we have for Drizella is, like, a thirst for magic. But, Uh, see, Rumpel... Rumpel's motivation is an all-consuming thirst for power. But that's established because we see him at a moment where he has no power and we see what it costs him to have no power. Drizella's motivation is this all-consuming desire for magic, but we have not yet seen, and I'm being generous and thinking maybe we will see it, we have not yet seen the thing that will happen that will make her feel so helpless without magic that will give her that drive. Well, I think that kind of ties back to the episode where she gets Regina to teach her magic. It is sort of all about getting back at her mom and she feels like her magic is something her mother denied her. So in some way, becoming as magically powerful as possible is her way of getting back at her mom. Okay, but that doesn't make sense because we haven't... Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense either. We... Her mother didn't deny her magic in anything we saw. We can assume maybe she did. But the only thing we saw with Lady Tremaine with magic was when she got the fairy godmother's wand and told Drizella that you have to be powerful without magic because magic can be taken away. Hmm. We didn't see her denying Drizella magic. Victoria, Lady Tremaine, is not a magical character. This It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It doesn't make a lot of sense why either of them have magic, really. I mean, I know it's not always a genetic thing, but it does seem weird that they've got all of this power out of nowhere. I mean, I get... So, I... Okay. I mean, I'm being so generous right now. Mm-hmm. But we know that Mother Gothel was, like, looking for someone with a pure heart who could... Become the guardian and question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, so there could be a, a thing here with that. Like, that makes sense that she would give that power to Anastasia. That part makes some sense to me. But the rest, basically, none of Drizella's motivation makes any sense to me. So we cut back to Henry dying on top of the mountaintop, and uh, Ella's like, I have to save you. You have to. You have to do it. You have to do it. And uh, Regina's like, fine. 
I'll cast the dark curse, I guess. Henry doesn't want her to. Henry would rather die than have her cast the dark curse, but everybody else wants to save Henry's life, so too bad, Henry. Also, like... This isn't your first dark curse. Everything will be fine. Yeah, you you have a pretty easy time breaking dark curses, and there's a little bit where uh, Selina's like, no, don't cast it. It's not what Henry wants, and Hook comes up and he's like, wouldn't you do it to save Robin? I would for Alice. And I had a really weird moment where I was like, Robin Hood? No, Robin the daughter. Yeah, Robin the daughter. This is the thing about naming people after dead people who are also characters in this show. On shows like this where dead people can come back. Mm. So we do get this shot of Jack looking kind of concerned to the side on the mountaintop. Jack has had nothing to do all episode except react to stuff. It's true. Poor Jack is like, wait, maybe this is, oh, well, too late. It started. So Regina casts the Dark Curse, but it's sort of a different kind of Dark Curse. Well, I mean, they're using different effects for magic this season than they have been, so that's okay. Well, and he's using the Coven of Eight's sigil to cast this Dark Curse. She. And she's using the Coven of Eight's sigil to cast this Dark Curse, so... Yeah, well, I mean, the Coven of Eight set it up, so it's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that part of it. We cut to another part of the forest where Rumpel gives Alice his chipped teacup and tells her the thing we saw back, like, in the third episode, which is that when she gives him the cup in the world without magic, it will unlock Mr. Gold in his brain and he'll know who he is. And if he doesn't, she should shoot him in the head. And that will unlock it because he can't die. And she's like, neat. And then uh, Robin shows up and she's like, oh, neat. And they start making out. Weirdly enough... In the very, very, very limited screen time they've had, they also had more chemistry than uh, Dorothy and Ruby did in their entire episode. Yeah, they're only together this one scene, and I believe them as a couple way more. Which... (sighs) I hope we get... I hope they get more on-screen together time in the next few episodes, now that we've met Robin. Yeah, it is nice to actually see uh, some gay characters on this show in a way that doesn't feel very 90s, very special episode. I hope it's not a one-off, though, because so far it has all been one-offs. Yeah. Well, they've established that, like, Alice is a gay character, and she has consistently been in the show, which is nice. Yes. And it has been, it's not like a, it's not like with that one character from Law & Order, uh, where she's about to leave the show, and she turns to Jack McCoy, and she's like, is this because I'm a lesbian? After she gets fired, and it's like... No, because this has literally never been a part of your character at any point up until now. And then they punished her by making her be on the first season of Angel. Actually, I think she was on the first season of Angel before she was on. I think she left Angel to be on Law and Order. Oh! And that's why her character just got dropped from Angel after that point. But anyway. So, uh, the curse is happening, and... And Ella is worried about who's going to take care of Lucy in the world without magic. So, Hook gives her the white elephant so that in the world without magic they will be mother and daughter and she'll be able to take care of lucy that was nice that was nice especially because even though i know he wanted to be with alice alice is a grown woman who can take care of herself yeah and uh you know lucy is not exactly and then we see the curse spread over the land yep instead of being purple like regina's dark curses usually are it's this fiery Yeah, it's like a smoky fire, which makes sense because it was designed by the Coven of Eight instead of being designed by Regina, so it shouldn't be colored with Regina's magic. Designed. 
Yeah, right. So we cut to Henry reading his uh, book to Lucy, and I gotta say, it's not great. It's not great. Eh, whatever. He's reading the scene from the end of season one where Emma breaks the curse by kissing Henry's forehead, and after he reads the scene, he tells the unconscious Lucy that he understands the love of a parent now because he loves her and he would do anything for her and didn't he have a child in his curse memories just throwing that out there yeah that that is accurate he had a wife and child who both died in a fire but he's like now that i've met you i understand what a father's love is which makes sense because he didn't really have a wife and daughter that was jacinda and lucy but anyway he says he's gonna try and he kisses her forehead but it doesn't break the curse very 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 conspicuously does not break the curse and he even does the thing no one on this show ever does where he pauses and waits for it to work like it because you know magic doesn't happen instantaneously most of the time if you're not counting like fireballs and teleportation so he even gives it time and this is the one time when that's not the case yeah i do sort of want to point out the fact that the overly photoshopped uh illustrations in the new book are like a thousand times better than the classic overly photoshopped illustrations they really are yeah i think it's because they're more about increasing the contrast so it just looks like weirdly staged photographs more than trying to make them look like illustrations through photoshop that makes sense yeah so back in san francisco Zelina and Regina are getting ready to drive up, and Zelina's like, um, have you tried True Love's Kiss? And Regina reports that Henry did try, and it didn't break the curse, so I guess he reported that back to her? She explains why it didn't work. She's like, it tried, but Lucy was in this coma because she no longer believes in true love, and both parts of the couple have to believe in True Love's Kiss for it to work. That is true. I know you're dubious, but we saw that before with David and Mary Margaret. Right, when she was under that uh, spell that made the her awesome. The hard-hearted spell, yeah. yeah. You know, the spell that made her into a badass bitch who actually got stuff done. Exactly. So, Regina sort of sums up, she's like, okay, we have to undo this, but also, like, if we undo the dark curse, Henry dies, but if we don't, Lucy dies, which... Yeah, that sucks. I don't know. It, it feels like there's a lot of work around here. So, meanwhile, Ivy has brought Anastasia to a magic shack somewhere in Seattle. That has a well in the middle of it. Hmm, very conspicuously has a well in the middle of it. It's really creepy. It's very Silence of the Lambs. And Giselle's like, look, I'm sick of living in your shadow, so I'm going to steal your magic. And, uh, because... You've because stole... those are my motivations. Because that's my motivation now. She's like, I'm going to steal your magic like you've stolen everything from me, but... What? Really? And then, again, spoilers for the Dark Phoenix movie, but instead of sucking the magic out of Anastasia, the magic gets sucked out of Ivy into Anastasia, and now she has all the magic. And Gotha claims that this was her plan all along because Drizella sucks and Anastasia rules, and now Anastasia has all the magic ever. Yes, and then she pushes uh, Ivy into a well, where where Lady Tremaine is chilling out, and Lady Tremaine's like, I fucking told you. I fucking told you. Yeah, yeah. And Ivy's like, fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck. 
Because, you know, all she wanted to do was get away from her mother, and now she's trapped in a well with her. Bad day for Ivy. Bad day for Ivy. We go to Hook and Alice looking for Weaver, and they're like, boy, it sure looks like someone had a telekinetic temper tantrum in here. What's going on? Weaver says, you wouldn't believe it. And Hook says, oh, you wouldn't believe it. And he tells him about the symbol painted next to the troll, and Weaver holds up the coin, the coin with the coven of the eight symbol, and was like, is it this symbol? And Hook's like, what does it mean? And Rumpel's like, it means they're here. And then we cut to Gothel leading Anastasia into a room full of hooded figures with lights glowing underneath their hoods. I don't know how I feel about this fake out, by the way. I don't know if I hate it or love it. I totally love it because uh, Anastasia's like, who are they? And Gothel's like, they're no one. I literally just set up lamps and put cloaks over them as a fake out. We have to find the witches to make up the rest of this coven. Yeah, like she takes, yeah, Anastasia takes down one of the cloaks and it's just like on a mannequin. A lit up mannequin so that so that it looks like a person is standing there, but really it's just the cloaks. I mean, it's... It's so extra. This is such a weird fake out. So, yes, they're going to find the women who are meant to fill the cloaks, and then they're going to something-something, Coven of Eight, Coven of Eight, something-something. Yeah, basically. And now we've set the places for where we're going to go from here, but honestly, you know, I started this episode saying that this was a necessary episode to kind of answer a lot of the holes that were left by the last season, but I feel like now that we've gone through it, it really raised more questions than it answered. Yeah, it felt like it was supposed to sort of, you know, get how we got from point B to point A, really. But really, it's like, hey, check out C and D over here. And I'm like, that answers nothing! <sighs> so, it wasn't terrible or anything? Mm -hmm. Like, there wasn't a point where I was like, oh my god, why won't this episode end? This feels like a real skippable episode, which is weird because it's setting up the antagonist for the back half of this season, but still it felt super skippable. Really? I, I, I'd say it did, but there's just so much stuff that seems like it's going to be important later. I feel like if someone just told you, like us perhaps, hmm. if someone just told you, okay, Coven of Eight, Mother Gothel, Anastasia yeah. has all the power. Yeah, I mean, that would basically... Yeah. So, but next week, next week's episode is called The Secret Garden. It's just called Secret Garden. There's no the. Oh, I'm sorry. It's called You want to get sued? It's called Secret Garden. And the Netflix description is Gothel offers a deal to save Lucy's life, but there's a catch. Zelina goes after her daughter, and Rogers learns the truth about Eloise Gardner. Oh good, are we going to finally not have to deal with Curse Hook anymore? That would be great. Also, this makes me think that we're going to have real-world Robin, so that's good. Yeah. So, Fashion Corner, literally none of the outfits jumped out at me. I mean, the cloaks are kind of neat, I guess. They look better than Gideon's cloak. I liked Regina's grandmother at the 8th birthday party outfit, which was just like a gold Victorian dress, which had a really cool necklace that went with it. But honestly, yeah, the clothes I, were not great this episode. I did enjoy that they are committing to a more Victorian aesthetic now. But yeah, nothing really jumped out. 
Do you have any recommendations? I do have a recommendation. Ooh. So, if you want to read a story with a stepsister who has clear motivations, um, I just read a book called Stepsister. It's a YA novel by Jennifer Donnelly, and it takes place immediately after the Cinderella story from the point of view of the stepsister who cuts off her toes. Ooh. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so... This isn't strictly a recommendation, more something this really, really reminded me of. But, speaking of things you've been doing, actually. Yeah? So, there was a time where I was really, really into TV tie-in novels. And there is a trilogy that is an alternate Dark Willow story. Oh, interesting. Uh, that I think Christopher Golden did. I'm just assuming because Christopher Golden did like all of the tie-in books for everything. To the degree that I'm not sure he's an actual person. <laughs> but it's about basically uh, Willow trying to rewrite the rules of magic so she can bring back Tara. And part of it involves her assembling a coven of other witches uh, so she can use them as like a focal point for you know to amplify her own power which i thought was a really interesting idea it's been a really long time since i read it i remember enjoying it although it really just it it takes a long time to get to basically the same place where the actual dark willow story ends it's just that but with a bunch of extra stuff in the middle of it i mean i'm okay with that that's not i think i would definitely read that she, uh, at one point makes a, uh, golem out of the body of Riley, who... That's fucked up. Yeah, uh, apparently, <laughs> she talks, like, within the context of that universe, presumably not in the actual continuity of Buffy, but he and his wife apparently both died on the mission that they left, like, after they, you know, came to Sunnydale, and then they left to go on another mission. Apparently, they both died during that mission, so Willow just uses his body. That's really dark. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, that should about do it. I think that does us for this week. Welcome to Storybrooke is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, head over to our website at www.ilovetelevisionzines.com and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, and Rosa. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or anything else TV-related, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Uh, we can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrooke. Do you want an easy miracle? Do you want to lose a pound or two? Then you can turn this off right now. My workout's not for you. I'm talking to the woman who wants it all. Gotta pay for what you get. Cause size two clothes don't come to those too lazy to sweat. I'm only whipping the shape when I.